This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. All right. Well, we are continuing to follow Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And by the way, I've been encouraging all of us to be creative throughout the series. And so we have put paper and colored pencils in the back of your seats. And the whole idea is that you could draw the images that come out of the text that we're taking a look at. So whatever passage we're looking at, you might want to draw something that you see within it. And I just want you to know I've received many um, drawings. I mean, these are the ones I've received, let alone the ones that you've been doing and drawing. And I've, I've loved uh, looking at each and every one of them. Um, there was even a humorous one. There's like a Roman soldier with Mark. If you remember in the Gospel of Mark, he was fleeing naked. And so there's a little censored sign on Mark. And he says, I'll be back to write the Gospel. But um, there's just, they're wonderful uh, different uh, uh, images. In fact, I've got one I think that will be up on the screen that I want to show you. I really like this one um, because we're, this is two weeks ago. We were talking about how God can transform failure into gospel. And, and I think this picture really captures it well because the word fail literally means fall. And we all do. We all fail in different ways at different times. And so there's this picture of us falling, but then there's God there who brings us up and we can tell that gospel story. And so I really love that. So thank you, Mark, for for making that picture as well. And speaking of that, last week I went with my family to Oregon Family Ranch. Anyone heard of this? It's a Young Life camp. Um, And so we went to the Creekside camp for a family gathering and uh, I, the reason I bring it up is because that whole area kind of had a little bit of a dark history. And then out of that came this amazing camp that is uh, glorifying God just right in the middle of this desert. And it just was a picture to me of failure turning into gospel uh, in, in this desert area. I just loved our time there. We spent time with some um, dear Sunset families. We have some great young families at this church, and we got to spend time with our kids. And I even went down uh, all the water slides. Anyone been to those? And they have this one water slide. I forget what it is. Muddy something, or no one knows. Okay, it's because you because you're reasonable people and don't go down this thing. So it has almost a vertical, like it it almost goes vertically. And um, so I don't know if you know your, one of your elders, Joe Bingle, he, do you know Joe? He is extraordinary. He is so gifted and talented. You kind of have to have a bit of self-esteem just to be around him. So we had these competitions uh, and we, we went down these slides and had these competitions, who could go f- further. And so we, we had to kind of take Joe out of the equation to see who really won, basically. So anyway... The point being, we have some wonderful, wonderful families. We had a wonderful time. And it was great to be in a place where you see where, you know, even in a sense of failure, God transforms something into something very beautiful. All right. Sermon. Today, we are studying the baptism of Jesus. And looking at the baptism of Jesus helps us understand the meaning 
of baptism. So as a way to help us actively engage this topic, I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise. Now, you don't, necess- you don't have to do it, but I want to encourage you to do it. So if you're able, if, would you please stand with me right now? And um, uh, I just want you to turn to one person and share your name. That's the only thing I want you to do right now. Just turn to one person, share your name. It can, it cannot be someone you know. Okay, okay, that's it. I I hear you talking about other things. (laughs) Talking about your week, talking about what you ate. Okay, just your name. You got it? Okay, so here's what I want you to do next. So when you turn, you can turn to the same person, someone new. And I want you to ask one question. By the way, you don't have to answer it. You could say, I pass. But you could try to engage it a little because this will help us in the sermon. So here's the question. You ready for it? So this is what I want you to ask. Who are you? Go ahead. Okay, okay. You can have a seat now. Thank you for... Engaging that with me. Who are you? Today we're looking at the baptism of Jesus, which helps us understand the meaning of baptism. And the meaning of baptism is all about our identity. Baptism is fundamentally about who we are. And I cannot think of a more important message than the one we're going to look at today. So let's pray and ask God to help. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we ask that, well, first of all, we thank you for being present. Would you please fill us, anoint us, empower us with your Holy Spirit. As we look at the baptism of Jesus, teach us what it means, what our baptism means. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us. I pray that heaven would open up. And I pray that we would hear your voice about who we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the baptism of Jesus. So as uh, Pastor Barbara beautifully preached last week, John uh, comes and calls us to prepare the way a straight path, so Jesus can kind of come straight into our heart. And immediately after that preparation, uh, Jesus is baptized. So, starting in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. You can go to Israel today into the Jordan River. You can even get baptized in the Jordan River today. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately... That's one of Mark's favorite words. Immediately, Jesus saw the heavens being torn up open. The heavens. In biblical Greek, uh, the word heaven is used in two different senses. 
Uh, heaven can be used to describe basically the atmosphere around us where the birds fly. It can describe the atmosphere up into the, to the sky to the heavenly celestial places like the moon and the stars. Um, but, it can, but it also describes the place where God dwells. It's where God is. And we see the heavens being torn open. Now, if you were there at that moment when Jesus was being baptized, I'm not sure whether you would see some tear in the atmosphere, maybe, But this is an expression. The heavens being torn open is an expression to to help us see that this moment is is a God moment. It's when God's presence is is there in a powerful and a unique way. The heavens are torn open. God is there. He is present. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus not as a dove, like a dove. And Luke also describes this as this spirit comes in bodily appearance or bodily form. In other words, there is a physical sense or manifestation of God's presence descending and coming upon Jesus Christ, like a dove. And by the way, this coming of the spirit is in fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah and Isaiah 42, God is talking about his chosen servant, his anointed one that's going to come. And the prophet says that, Behold, the servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights, he says, I put my spirit upon him. So Jesus, after all these centuries, now is fulfilling this prophecy. God's spirit comes upon Jesus in this moment. And then something very important happens. In fact, when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, he, he says, Behold! Behold means to pay attention to this. This is an important moment. Behold, the voice came from heaven. Now, I want to make talk a moment about this. The voice comes from heaven. In this context, well, first of all, this is the voice of of God the Father, the audible voice of God the Father. And do you, can you guess how many times the audible voice of God the Father speaks in the Gospels? Can you take a guess in the Gospels how many times? The voice of God the Father. Twice. Actually, three times in the Gospel of John, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, two times, only two times. So if God's audible voice is speaking, these are extraordinarily powerful moments. He, he, the voice of God comes at the baptism of Jesus and at the transfiguration of Jesus, which we'll come to and see how important that is. So the voice, that God's voice has been seemingly silent since the prophet Malachi. It's been 450 years or so. And all of a sudden, out of the silence, God's voice breaks through at Jesus' baptism and what does God say? Oh, you, you're reading it, no? <laughs> you are my beloved son with whom you I am well pleased. That's what the voice says at Jesus' baptism. This is so important to hear. Now, do you know what happens directly after Jesus was baptized? What's the first thing that happens? The very first thing, immediately, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and, and, he, and that's what helps us understand the meaning of, 
of baptism. He immediately gets tempted. And by the way, whenever there's a big God moment, when God is present and shows up, like the moment when you believe in Jesus Christ or the mo- when you get baptized, don't be surprised that you're going to get tempted because that's what happens immediately after Jesus' temptation or his baptism. So let's take a look at this. Mark Verse 12, the spirit immediately, right after the baptism, drove Jesus out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, just like Israel was in the wilderness 40 years, being tempted by Satan. So I want to take a little closer look at what the temptations were because it'll help us understand the meaning of baptism. So Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led, this is right after the baptism, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. By the way, that, that is uh, Satan, the devil, is the tempter, is the one who lies, essentially, and tempts you uh, into a lie. So after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry, naturally. And by the way, devil's weaker than the power of Christ by a long shot. And so when the tempter wants to tempt you in something, it's usually at a time when you're the most weak. So Jesus was hungry. That's the time because he's not that as powerful as Christ. And so the temptation comes in a moment of weakness. And he listen to these temptations. So the first, there's three temptations. The first temptation, the tempter came and said to him, what? If you are the Son of God. Do you remember what God, the Father, just said about Jesus in his baptism? What did he say? You're my beloved Son. So what's the tempter going to tempt him with? Who he is. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the first temptation. The second temptation, then the devil takes him up to the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple itself, way up there. And he said to him, what's the temptation going to be? Same old, same old. He's going to tempt him to forget what was said about him at his baptism. If you are the son of God, which is what God said who he was, throw yourself down for it is written. And then the the devil then quotes scripture. This is Psalm uh, 91. And he says, God promises to protect you. God will command his angels concerning you, Jesus. And on the angels' hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus confronted him. He says, Again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because the devil's trying to test him. Well, does God really care? Are you really his son? Tempting him to forget who he is. And then finally, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and all their glory. And he said, all these things I can give you if you fall down and worship me. Which, by the way, is what tends to happen in a way when we forget who we are. We then go towards something else not the voice of God. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil flees. He left. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Do you see what's happening here? In the baptism of Jesus, the voice of God the Father says, You are my beloved Son. And then in the temptation of Jesus, the devil tempts Jesus to doubt 
his identity as God's beloved son. Remember again and again, if you are the son, if you are, you're not really the son of God, if you are. So when we get baptized, God speaks to us fundamentally about our identity. What God is saying is we are his beloved. How does that feel? We're his beloved. By the way, this is a one-point sermon. This is the only point I want you to remember, and I hope and pray you'll never, ever forget. You are God's beloved sons and his beloved daughters. That's who you are. And one of the most important spiritual tasks for us to do is to believe that truth about what God the Father speaks about us and then to live our lives based upon our belovedness. But it's easier said than done, right? Any groans out there? Easier said than done. We often live our lives answering that question of who I am in different ways. And by the way, I was listening to a wonderful talk by uh, Henry Nouwen called Being the Beloved. And so I want to share some of what I learned from that wonderful talk of his. And he first asked everybody to imagine their, their life as a line. So can you do this? You can either draw it or just imagine it. Imagine that your life just is a line. So you were born at one point, and then you go till you die. So um, I'll just use myself as an example. I was born in 1969. Don't worry about calculating. I'm 48 years old. That's what it is. So, um, so if I start 69, and that's the beginning of the, of the line, I draw it. Now, I'm still around, but, you know, um, the average life expectancy uh, in the world is around 70 Um, now I have good news for you. It's great to live in the United States because your life average expectancy is 78. So you have eight more years just living here. And by the way, if you move up to Canada, you get four more years after that. So, um, anyway, so, so I'm here in the United States, average life expectancy is 78. So I start here and say, I have another 30 years average life. I, I, my first 30 went really fast, so that's going to go fast. So here's our life. It's just real quick. One line. You got it? So everything above the line are good things, good feelings, good thoughts. Everything below the line is negative things. And by the way, I've used this in counseling, or it's a good way to get to know a person. Just ask a person to draw that line. And then their history, what good things happen, what bad things happen, and then you can get to know someone, the big events, really quickly. So you have that line. The fundamental question that we need to answer in this life is, who are we? I happened to watch a TV special called To Heaven and Back, and it was a program about people who had died and then came back to life. And then they shared their experience of the afterlife. It was a fascinating program. And one of the persons who died spent 30 hours in the afterlife. And then she came back to life. And here's what she said. She said, the reason we're here on earth is to figure out the question, guess what? 
Who are we? You hear that? The reason we're here on earth is to figure out the question, who are we? That is the question we have to ask. And the answer to that question will make all the difference in the world. Who are we? In the baptism, in baptism, God answers that question for us. We are God's beloved. But we often live with different answers to that question. I want to talk about three of the most common ways we typically answer that question. You with me? So three common ways we answer it is who I am. I am what I do. I am what I have. Or I am what other people say about me. Those are the three typical ways. So let's look at each of these. The first common answer to the question who I am is that I am what I do. So when we do good things, we feel good. That's right. When we have successes, when you know, we have something that we do that's above that line, we feel like a successful person. But when we don't do good things, we feel bad. When we fail, we can then, below the line, feel like a failure. And when we get older, our bodies naturally fail us. So when we get older, we can't do the things that we used to do before, and we, lose our, we literally lose our ability to do. And so it can, we can feel very sad about that. Um, you can either feel sad about that, or often people look back at all the things that they did, all the trophies that they had, and what they accomplished, and they uh, answer that, who I am, out of what I do. The second common answer to that question is I am what I have. Now, I have a lot. I have a lot. I have loving parents on both sides. I have um, a good education. I have an incredible wife. I have wonderful boys. I have possessions. I have a lot. And everything, everything's great, isn't it? When we have what we want. But when we lose a special person in our life, if our health goes, if we lose the things we have, or if we can't get what we want, what happens? We, we can sink. We sink below the line. We can get depressed. We can uh, feel sad, live our life in a sense of sadness. The third common answer to the question who I am is that I am what other people say about me. And we can all fall into this answer at different times. Actually, we can all fall into all these answers. And I do personally as well. Our identity can be shaped by what other people say about us. So if people speak well of us, we can kind of walk around feeling pretty good. But as soon as people speak bad things about us, as soon as people gossip behind our back or say negative things about us, it can make us sink below the line and feel incredibly low, depressed. By the way, uh, preachers fall into this temptation like crazy. Amen, Barbara? Um, Preachers fall into this trap. You know, I can preach a sermon and people say, that was a great sermon. Yeah, feeling good good about myself. And then the next week, week uh, I can preach a sermon and people say, well, that was lousy. He didn't even rap. So what's going on? So 
up and down if your identity is shaped around what other people say. Students can feel this way when you get a good grade and your grades are good. You can feel like an A student. You feel above average. But as soon as you hit some grades that aren't so hot, then you can form your identity around what other people say and evaluate. <laughs> Isn't it true? We, we, how we feel about ourselves can be shaped by what other people say. So I'm going to share a, a, a story about this. So I can still remember back in high school, I went to my homeroom. So they still have homerooms today. First, thing, first place you go to. So I went to my homeroom, got my backpack, and I sit down at my homeroom, and this teenage girl was sitting right next to me, and I was feeling fine, and she looks at me, and, and by the way, I still remember her name to this day. This is going to be hilarious. She looks at me, and she says, you look so tired. <laughs> and I wasn't feeling tired very much. I, I was feeling fine. I walked in. But as soon as she said that, I was like, yeah, maybe I am tired. <laughs> and honestly, my whole day was miserable after that. Isn't it true? We can self-identify with what other people say about us, whether it's true or not. Often, you know, with parents or close friends, those who are close to us can sometimes say the most harmful things, even if they don't intend to. And it can have a devastating impact on a person's life unless you form a new answer to that identity question. Amen? A lot of our time and energy is spent living out of those three answers. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people say about me. And if we base our identity on any of these answers, our lives can easily feel like an emotional yo-yo. Um, our lives quickly go up, above the line. They quickly go down. Because when we do good, we feel up. But when we fail, we feel down. When we have what we want, we feel up. But when we lose what we have, we feel down. When other people say good things about us, we're up above the line, but as soon as bad things are said about us, we're back down. And most of our mental work is just trying to stay above the line because we worry. We worry about what we do. We worry about what we have. We worry about what other people say about us. And then we reach the end. And we can't do anything anymore. We don't have anything anymore. And people don't talk about us anymore either. Listen. What Jesus teaches is that those answers to the question, who am I, are not strong enough to form our identity around. Do you hear it? Let me say that again. Jesus, what Jesus teaches us is that those answers to the question of who I am are not strong enough to form our identity around. You see, when the devil tempted Jesus with what he could do, turn the stones to bread, Jesus resisted the temptation. When the devil tempted Jesus with all that he could have, all the kingdoms, he could have everything, all the possession, Jesus resisted that temptation. When the devil tempted him with all that the people could say about him, the glory, glory meaning importance, that Jesus could be glorified in what people say, and it's so important, Jesus resisted that temptation, because Jesus knew his identity. 
before the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, the Spirit of God came upon Jesus at his baptism, and God the Father says, You are my beloved Son. Jesus knew who he was. He was who his heavenly Father said he was. You are my beloved Son. So Jesus did not live the life of an emotional Yo-yo. When Jesus pray, when people praise Jesus, you, you praise him, Hosanna. He knew who he was. He was a beloved son of God. When people cursed him, saying "Crucify him" and rejected him, he knew who he was. He was God's beloved son. When people accepted him, when people rejected him, when people kissed his feet, when people spit on his face, Jesus held on to what God said about who he was. At his baptism, you are my beloved son. That is who you are. And it allowed Jesus, and friends, it allows us today to live in a world where we can experience the highs of praise and the lows of rejection without losing our core identity as beloved sons and daughters of God. Friends, if there's one thing I want you to hear this morning, it's this. What was said of Jesus at his baptism is said of you. Hear it. You are my beloved. Listen to the scriptures. God says it again and again and again. Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You, you realize that before you, God thought of you before your parents did. His love was before that line begins. He loved you before the line ever began, and it surrounds you until that line ends. He, you are surrounded with his love. Paul says nothing can escape. You can't, nothing can separate you from the love that is in God. And then God shows and demonstrates his love, giving his life on the cross. We love because God first loved us. We are surrounded with his love. Friends, at your core, you are not what you do. At your core, you are not what you have. You are not what other people say about you. And at your core, you're not even how you feel about yourself. That's a whole other sermon. But feelings are like clouds. They come and they go. You're not your feelings. You are God's beloved child. And when we receive the gift of faith in Jesus and follow him into baptism, we can be assured of our belovedness. So I want to invite anyone who may, may for the first time, I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ and be assured of that belovedness, to, to form your identity around your belovedness. Or if, you've, if, if you trust in Christ and are following him, I want, I want to ask that you reaffirm your faith and reconfirm the meaning of your baptism, that you 
are God's beloved child. That's who you are. So I just have one to do this week. It's one way to apply this in our lives. So I want to invite you to do a breathing prayer this week. So at least one, by the way, breathing prayers, I'll tell you what they are. Do we live busy lives? People are busy. Busy, busy, busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. So I think it's important to form your spiritual practices around things that you naturally do. And by a show of hands, who breathes? <laughs> so I've found it helpful in my life to do breathing prayers. And here, and I'll tell you the one I'm inviting you to. So once a day, every day this week, just seven times, I'd like to invite you to do a breathing prayer. Here's, here it is. When you breathe in, you can probably not say it out loud, but think it, I am. I am. Like, I am. And then when you exhale, and when you exhale, there's sort of a sense of release and, and rest. When you exhale, I'd like you to say, God's beloved. You can say, God's beloved daughter, if you want. So let's practice that. So breathe in, I am. And then breathe out, God's beloved. God's beloved son, God's beloved daughter. So can you do that once a day? All right. I cannot think of a more important message about who you are than this. You are God's beloved. So may the Holy Spirit descend upon us. May the heavens open. And may we hear the voice of God saying, You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. That is who you are. And all God's people said, amen. That is who you are. Love it. Sunset Church is a house of prayer for all nations. If you need prayer, there's some prayer ministers there. I'll be here. Love to pray for, pray with you and others can come and pray with you up front as well. So don't miss out on receiving prayer. Two things, two requests. Breathing prayer this week and then bring a friend next week. Next week we have a special guest preacher. He's going to be talking about the Seder and it'll help us understand communion. And it's the first time that I get to serve communion here. So I'm super excited about next Sunday as well. So uh, bring a friend next week. It's going to be a great time, great Sunday. All right, receive the blessing. May heaven open. May the spirit descend. And may you hear the voice of God. You are God's beloved. That's who you are. And all God's people said.